everybody? How you doing this morning? Yes. Was that amazing worship or what? Well, we created, and that, that's what's awesome about that. And yeah, but you almost broke Pastor Doug's mic. So, so when I grow up, I want to be like Pastor Doug, so that's why I'm wearing his microphone. Praise God. And you know, it's actually um, been a year specifically to this day, a year ago, that me and my family have been attending here. And so I don't know if it's like a really odd coincidence or not, but a year to the date. And I'm just so uh, proud just to be a part of New River. And what's uh, interesting is the first day that we came in, um, I didn't know anybody. Nobody knew me, didn't know us. Walked in here, wasn't sure where to sit. Am I taking somebody's seat? I hope not. If I took your seat, I apologize. So, you know, the worship was great. The preaching was great. And so I was like, wow, this feels really good. This really feels where the Lord is leading us. So we came back. And something funny happened the second time that, that we returned. So this really nice guy came up to me and just started striking conversation. And we started getting really deep into the Bible, into the Word, into ministry. It was, I mean, he was so really insightful. So I thought to myself, wow, he probably is like a leader here, uh, you know, some kind of capacity or something. So I had to ask him, I said, what's your role here? And he goes, I'm the pastor. <laughs> so that's my funny introduction to... Pastor Doug. So I thought, great, Joe, you just insulted the pastor. Now, now what? But um, we're really glad to be here. Some of you probably seen my son, uh, Lucas. He's a year and two months. He's in the nursery now. He was, we baby dedicated him in January. So we're home. This is home. So I'm glad we're together as a family. Amen. And I'm, I'm just so happy that uh, I have an opportunity, I guess, in the spirit of baseball to pinch hit, right? And uh, Pastor Doug, he hits these, these sermons are like home runs, aren't they? They're just so insightful. He gives us such uh, practical ways to apply God's word in our daily lives. And for me today, I'm hoping I can get a bunt and I'll run to first base really fast. Okay. So if you have your Bible or your electronic device, please open up to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. What I want to, to bring to you today is the topic of adversity, specifically how to stand strong in the middle of your adversity. Amen. While you're turning there, keep your finger there. We'll get to that in a minute. But I just want to know, a show of hands, how many of you enjoy playing board games? Anybody like play board games? Oh, I love it. Good response. You know, there's something about board games that gets everybody at table and looking at each other as opposed to the phones and electronic devices looking down. And so I think we've lost some of that. But, you know, one of the games that I recently came across was the game of life. Anybody ever play a game of life? Yeah, it's a popular game. In fact, it started in the 1800s. Through the years, it's evolved and it's changed a lot of what we have today. But basically, it's this. I actually came across the, the product or the game description and listened to it. It says, do you have what it takes to win the game of life? You do it by choosing the life you want. Go to college, take the family plan, have kids, or see what happens when unexpected twists change the game. You will receive a fortune and lose it as quickly as you got it. Will you need a bank loan to pay a debt? Once everyone reaches the end of the game at retirement, everyone pays their debt and adds up their wealth, and the player with the most money wins the game. So make sure it's you. It's all your choice when you play the game of life. <laughs> so, you know, this game attempts to mirror real-life situations for most people, like trying to plan for college, having a family, working, trying to save for retirement, 
those are, those are some of the similar things. But along the way, there's also these spots that you land that adversity can step in, right? So one of them is actually an unexpected tax bill that you'll have to pay. And not only the tax bill, but then the person that filed and prepared the taxes for you. Another one is if you're called by the police speeding, if you spend a dollar and land at 10, you're going to have to pay a $5,000 fine. Imagine that speeding ticket. How do you explain that to your wife? Anybody close? No, don't answer. <laughs> another one is you, you end up losing your job. There's a, another occasion there's a midlife crisis. Another occasion there's a ski accident, and you have this enormous medical bill. Now, we know that that's just a game, but really, if we really look at it in real life, there are these uh, true aspects of these adversities, right? Everyone is going to have to face adversity. There's setbacks. There's trouble. There's hardships, difficulties, challenges. And everyone's going to land on a spot when that adversity comes. But what do we do with that? How we respond to it is really the key because it could either break us or it can make us. Do you know these three people, Lou Holtz, Scott Hamilton, and Stephen Covey? These are the three out of many men and women who have their own or had their own serious adversities but were able to emerge to a level of success um, and victory in their lives. Lou Holtz, he's a former college uh, football coach and commentator, and he was known for his ability, his wit, and his ability to inspire his players. There's two things he said about this topic. One, everyone goes through adversity in life, but what matters is how you learn from it, how you learn from it. The other is this, show me someone who has done something worthwhile, and I'll show you someone that's overcome adversity. Did you get that? Also, Scott Hamilton, the former Olympic medalist and figure skater, says this. Everything that I've ever been able to accomplish in skating and in life has come out of adversity and perseverance. Stephen Colby, he's a leadership trainer, educator, author, keynote speaker. Get this. He says, just as we develop our physical muscles through overcoming opposition, such as lifting weights, we develop our character muscles by overcoming challenges and adversity. Isn't that true? And I'm convinced that where there's no struggle, there's no development of strength. So the struggle that you feel today will be the strength that you feel tomorrow. Are you getting that? If it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. The challenge you see today will be the victory that you see tomorrow. And I've determined a long time ago that adversity, when I'm facing adversity, at the end of it, I want to see what it's going to add to me. It's not called subversity. It's called adversity. So I want it to add something to me at the end of it. If I'm going to go through this, I want to know what it's going to add to me. See, it's a matter of perspective. It's how you look at it. It's your outlook. It's how you, your perception of things. It's like, you know, this, the, the old analogy, like the glass, if it's filled at the, the middle there, do you see it half empty or do you see it half full? I want to encourage somebody today to transform your thinking into seeing it not only half full, but on its way to the brim and ready to flow over. That's the kind of God that we serve. That's the kind of God will take a situation and circumstance and turn it and flip it and allow that into your life. Amen. Let's read Psalm 23 together. It's on, uh, it's on page 468. It says here, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. 
He leads me besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you were with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Well, let's look here really at David's perspective. Here we have a summary, so to speak. Here David sums up his experience of his perspective with God and God's guidance and provision in his life. You know, as we see his story, he has highs and he has lows. It's as if David has a, a highlight reel, right, a highlight videos, and he has a blooper reel. He has those blooper uh, videos that I think would have blown up YouTube, all right? So, you know, with that, he still maintained, we, we get from him this uh, fortitude and resilience that David had. And, and in this, fortitude is defined strength of mind that enables a person to encounter danger or pain or adversity with courage. That sounds like David. Resilience, the ability to become strong, healthy, or successful again or after something bad happens. I think that sounds like David. But you know, he didn't do it alone. Let's look again at Psalm 23. I want to point out just two perspectives about adversity and getting through it. I mean, there's many, but just two that we're going to look at today. Looking at verse 4, I want to know how did David stand in the middle of adversity? How do we stand in the middle of adversity? The first one is this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, verse 4 shows us that God is with us. He walks with us through the adversity. In other words, no matter what you're going through, he guides us. He's there. He's going to show us the way. And we can find significance in the adversity if we know that he's in it. We can find significance in the adversity if we know that somehow this is a test. It can also be a test. It can become a test to reveal things about us that we probably otherwise wouldn't have known. To reveal like our faith to test to see if we'll be willing to follow God and his timing. You know, there's an old gospel song. Everybody, anybody hear it? That he's an on-time God? Let me see your hands. Anybody? Anybody? Okay, one. <laughs> so, you know, it says he's an on-time God. Oh, yes, he is. But you know what? That yeah, could be true. But there were times and situations in my life where I thought he could have showed up a little early. How about you? You know, <laughs> adversity can also be a test of our trust. That God is all in control and that he'll work it out for our best. Have you ever been tested that way? You know, that is God going to really be there? Does he have it all in control? And I've discovered that there are times when God allows you to walk into something that you weren't expecting. To let you experience something. Because it's interesting. You know what to do when you get yourself into trouble. You know what to do when trouble finds you. But what do you do when God orchestrates the trouble and he allows the trouble to come into your life? Perhaps it's something to come into your life to be able to reveal or to remove something on you that good times and blessings couldn't do. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Um, let's take a right to the book of Luke. This is an event in Peter's life. Jesus makes a pretty... Uh, remarkable statement here it says Simon Simon 
Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Okay, stop right there. Sift as wheat. You know, that today that's not a really good illustration for us. Because the, the sifting that Jesus was talking about, it had to do with this violent process of shaking, literally tearing apart wheat so that you can take what's unwanted and to be able to capture what is wanted. You know, the only thing I can think of today for a visual for you is as if a demolition crew came into a house and took their hammers and started breaking apart every piece of the drywall and started breaking up the wood and the two-by-fours and started breaking up the tile, ripping up the carpet, and then what do you have left? Or a demolition crew going to a building and detonating and let it be all just pieces, rubble. That is the sifting that Jesus was talking about in Peter's life. So you got it? Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed. Okay, stop there again. I know I'm like a bad driver. Here, it's as if he, says, he, he said prayed. He, there was asked in the first verse, and then there's prayed in the second verse. Like this was a, a something that took place in the past. Like Jesus knew about this, and, and it was some prior event. Like he, he knew this in advance, which doesn't come to surprise. Jesus is Jesus. He knows everything. So it says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. So what won't fail? And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. When you've turned back, where's Peter going? Can you imagine, Peter? Can you imagine if you were Peter? I don't know about you, but I feel that there might have been just a little bit more dialogue here. Because I don't know about you, but if it was me, I would say, <clears throat> uh, excuse me, Jesus, you're trying to tell me that, G that Satan is about to just tear me apart, break me down. Can I remind you that you are the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am, the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. You're the anointed one, yoke destroyer, burden lifter, the shield. And all you're going to do is pray. I could imagine see Jesus saying, yeah, Pete, I'm just going to pray. Gee, thanks. But this is for a reason. It's for a process. And I'm sorry, you won't find that translation in the NIV or the KJV. It's in the JIV. It's in the Joe International Version. So uh, you won't find it on Amazon or your local Christian bookstore. Don't look. Try not. Jesus basically saying, Satan is looking to sift you, Peter. But I'm not going to deliver you from the sifting. I pray that while you're in the middle of that adversity, in that sifting, that your faith will not fail. Now, this is pretty remarkable because there's two ends of this situation here. You got to, on one hand, Satan is after Peter to tear him apart, to shake up his faith, to tear it up so that he becomes disconnected to God. But on the other side, there's Jesus praying for Peter's faith so that it would stay intact, so he would stay connected to God. One thing I don't want anybody leaving here with a misunderstanding is that there's some op oppos op opposing equal forces here. There isn't. Because as we know that the opposite of up is down, the opposite of hot is cold. Like say the opposite of day is night. Satan is not the, an opposite equal of God. Okay, he is already determined, defeated. And he's not of an equal power. So I need you to understand that he is still under the control of God. All right, that was kind of a detour. So... We have these two things, and I, I believe that, that Jesus gave us the key. He gave us the answer of how, one of the reasons how we stand strong in adversity, and that is faith. 
because it's that faith, that keeping of it. And the Bible even says that even if we have a little bit of it, we can move a mountain. Faith is what holds us to God. It's like a spiritual power cord, like, a power, like an electrical cord, spiritually in a sense. And I don't want to freak anybody out because I know this isn't theologically correct. But it's almost like uh, a spiritual umbilical cord in the sense that that is what connects us, our humanity, to his divinity. It's the source of life. It's the source of power. If we have that, we will be maintained. Amen? Faith was so important for Jesus that he prayed for it for Peter. Faith, active faith, is the response in times of adversity. Because even when everything has just broken apart, if you still have your faith, you still have access to everything. With that faith, you still have access for hope. You still have access to rebuild. You still have access to emerge. You still have access to make a comeback. Amen. Because with no faith, we are disconnected from God and we lose our sense of him, his presence, and his guidance. With the faith, on the other hand, we remain connected. We have a better sense of his presence and we have a better sense of his direction. Do you see the difference? So what started Peter's adversity? Let's go to Luke 22 again. And we're going to read verse 33. It says here, but he replied, I tell you, Peter, before you, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Isn't that, isn't that something? He says, you know, he goes, you're going to, uh, your faith is going to fail. Verse 3 says, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison, even to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. There's the trouble. There's the start of the adversity. Verses 35 through 53 describes how Jesus was then captured and then he was arrested and him he was brought to the chief priest. And then we know all the chain of the events after that. But let's go to read verse 54 of the same chapter. It says, Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant saw him seated there at the fireplace. She looked at him closely and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Man, I, I am not, Peter replied. And about an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. The book of Mark says that he broke down and wept. Can you just imagine seeing the eyes of Jesus if you were Peter? Can, can, do you think his, uh, Jesus' eyes looking at him were eyes of condemnation like hey I told you so I told you you were going to do this uh, I think and this is me speaking that it was uh, eyes of compassion eyes of love eyes of forgiveness that's what I take out of that and I think this was Peter's 
betrayal. It was his disloyalty. It was his failure. And it was a self-inflicted wound. He was wounded at this point. He was troubled. I mean, he was torn apart. Have you ever wept uncontrollably? I believe that's what Peter experienced. Just, just intense sorrow. And, but if we're honest, like Peter, all of us have made tracks in the valley of failure. The question is how we're going to respond. Because failure is not final. I like how John Maxwell puts this. He says, if you're going to fail, fail forward. Because although if you're going to go forward, there's progress in that. There's much to be gained and learned from failure. Because even though this happens, these situations occur, it could be a chance for a new beginning, even from a failure. Because watch this. Jesus knew what he was getting when he went up to Peter and asked him to follow him. See, God knew everything about Peter already. He already knew Peter's the good, the bad, and the ugly, but still chose to use him as a vessel for ministry with Christ and all that we have today. That's pretty awesome. That's God's amazing grace. That's God's um, um, amazing grace and amazing mercy activated in advance. Do you, you see that? Before it's even applicable, before it even applies, there's God's grace ready before it happens. Oh, I don't know about you, but that grabs me in, a, in an amazing way. That's good news for us. And that's good news for Peter. Because let's continue to go right to the book of Acts. The book of Acts chapter 2, we're going to jump right into verse 1. If you're there, say I'm there. All right. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, where they heard this sound and a crowd came together in bewilderment because each of them heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Let's go to verse 13. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they had too much wine. <laughs> then Peter stood up and with the eleven, who stood up? And raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what this was spoken by the prophet Joel. And do you know that the rest of this, here Peter is preaching to set the record straight in their belief who Jesus really is. So let's go to verse 36. It says here, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, who you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and all the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many of those words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized 
and about 3,000 were added to their number. So what do you think? Here's Peter. He stood up and he spoke up. He preached the first Pentecostal message, made the first altar call, and 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ that day. I think that's pretty awesome. I think that the good news for Peter is that he stood strong during the time of the adversity. And here's what looked like a situation or circumstance that looked like a setback. It got flipped. It became a setup for a step up because God used it to elevate his place of his spirit, his spirituality, and his walk in his ministry. Do you see that? Because watch this. Peter, he has quite a story. He's one of the, uh, he was a fisherman. God chose him to be one of the 12. He was involved closely in ministry with Jesus. He walked on water. Who else can say that? Jesus told Peter that Peter would be the foundation that would build the church. On this rock, I will build my church. Do you remember that? Peter had many ups and downs, and probably one of the worst downs was this failure and betrayal of Jesus, right? But then he's, he stays strong in his adversity. He comes around. He preaches this first sermon. And then through the book of Acts, if we read it, he's continually in ministry and in miracles and signs and wonders. And then there's two books that he wrote that's in the New Testament. And he has a, an involvement and an impact, not only there, but an involvement in your salvation and my salvation and our spiritual growth today. Isn't that awesome? I mean, is that a comeback story or what? So what are we going to do? And we're in the middle of that adversity. Are we going to give up? Are we going to quit? Or do we let the devil win? No, I don't think so. You know, the devil might hate you and he might shake you and he might break you. But how you stand is what's going to make you. You know, there's, Satan is always going to do what he's going to do. He wants to sift us in the middle of adversity. And his goal is to damage our faith and separate us from God. That's his ultimate goal. But then sometimes during that, that season or that duration of we're there, we some might somehow feel disconnected from God. And that really leads us to our next important um, perspective. Let's go back to Psalm 23. In Psalm 23, we're going to look at verse 6. It says, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. The perspective that we need to take away from this is God loves us through our adversity. In other words, he still loves us during that time. And I want to remind somebody today that God loves you. And I say this and I bring this up because somehow you feel that because you in this adversity, somehow God has stopped loving you or that somehow you've lost your place or position with God. But that's the furthest thing from the truth, that Adversity does not equate losing position or place with God. God is, is always there. God is, is there. He will not leave us because, you know, in life, things just happen. Life happens. Things are going to happen. That's just part of life. And, but he's there, and we can go to him. We can pray to him. But sometimes people just get too busy, too distracted. So rather than going to God with a situation, we'll go to their electronic device and start tweeting and texting and uh, posting how they feel or something that just happened. Where you could have been productive and take that time and reach out to God. Even if it's a two-minute, three-minute, five-minute prayer. 
Just think about how that would change you or transform, or God can just have an opportunity to speak with you. You know, for some people, maybe it's just uh, you're just better off putting God in your contact list and text them. Boy, it would shock your socks off if you ever got a text back from God. Because you would be like, God, I love you. I'm thinking about you. I'm really having this hard time. I'm just reaching out to you for your help. Smiley face, smiley face. Send. You know, and all of a sudden, bleep, you get this back. And what if he texts you back and it said, O-M me. I was thinking about you. And I love you. I'm always thinking about you, and I'm always loving you. For I know the plans I have for you, says me, to prosper you. Some of you caught that, some of you didn't. <laughs> oh, okay, I'm just checking. To prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. Smiley face, smiley face, kissy face, kissy face. Try it. See if you get a text back from God. Again, life happens, but he'll be there. Thank you. The songs and the worship. Oh, I think it was just so appropriate for today because we're getting there. You know, I, sometimes God tends to speak to me about how he sees me how, as, a, as a heavenly father when, I, when, when I'm working or thinking about my own children. Does anybody have that same experience? Like God will point things out to you about how he sees you as a, as a child. So, you know, it, it's true that, you know, with your children, you can't really... Um, can't, you can't deliver them from everything. You know, you just can't. You can't because life is life and we're limited. We're not like God. We can't avoid everything. But I have three boys. I have Joel and Jordan and Lucas. And Joel, remember one time he touched the stove and burned his hand really bad. And, you know, I felt pretty bad. I was like, how, how you know, I couldn't avoid it. I couldn't deliver it from it. But all I could do was comfort him. And that's what he needed at that time. You know, you can't take it back. You can't take the hurt back. It happens. But just put my arms around them, treat the wound, and just let it walk through it. <laughs> walk through it, love him through it, and comfort him through it. And I think God does that same thing with us. You know, if we can just get a sense. You know, God is there. So if we're not sensing him, it's, it's, it's us maybe needing to be repositioned so that we can feel his embrace during that time. But it's not easy. You know, I remember uh, Jordan, he, when he was young, he had like a de de uh, developmental delay. And he didn't want to go to like new places. He didn't want to meet new people. He was really shy. He would just would focus on little action figures and just go to his world. But I had to encourage him to kind of expand himself and go and experience new things. And didn't want the center of attention. If you talk to him, he'd run the other way. So we're now in that process of helping and encouraging and comforting him and, and leading him. Then now he's at the point where he'll look for the spotlight. He doesn't mind to get up here and start telling a joke. And that's the, just the transforming work of just comforting and guiding. And I believe that's what God does for us, right? You know, and then the other, my, my, my youngest, Lucas, he's a year old. And I've been watching the progress again of from a baby all the way to his walking. It's just amazing to see that when they're newborns, they just lay there and they eat. They do nothing. Oh, yeah, they poop too. And, and they just lay there. And then all of a sudden, they work up that, that the ability to just turn. You know, they're working those muscles. There was a struggle. There was an adversity they were facing. You know, even at a month old, adversity, right? So they're trying to turn over. And finally, they turn over on their belly. And then they, they work up 
the ability to overcome the next adversity to try to roll on their back. And then they're faced with another adversity. They see everybody else walking, and they're like, how do I get to do that? And they realize if I can just get on my hands and knees, and now I'm on my hands and knees, and I'm there, and now I can want to go forward, but I only have the skills to go backwards. And then, you know, then they figure out the coordination and the strength to be able to go forward. And there's just, when I watch Lucas, there's just this determination. He has a passion, and he's determined, and he's not discouraged in the process because he sees where he could be. And so now comes that point of victory that now he gets up the strength to just stand up. And even though he needs help, he's standing. And the first time I ever saw him stand, there was this look on his face like, yeah, victory is mine. Yeah. You know, and smiling and he's big. And I thought, wow, God, this is amazing. We should be like that. And then, then came the next level of adversity, taking the first step and then all of a sudden falling. And they try to get up again and fall. And for as many times as he fell, he get back up. He got back up. He didn't quit. He still had that passion. And I started thinking, God, we need to be like that. And regardless how often we fall, just get back up and keep going. And now, you know, he gets to the point where he just walks in. He's just strutting his stuff like, you know, I got this now. You know? And, and it's just an amazing thing. And I just think that if we take some of those qualities or principles of even a baby, <laughs> What, what could it do for us where we are facing now? You know, the, the story, it's not over. It's not over. God is in it. It's not over. See, God is here to comfort us. He's here to love us. God is, uh, love is from his character. We've learned from his word and from his actions that God is love. And nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not even Peter's betrayal and failure, not even Paul's murdering Christians. Do you see that? And not, we wouldn't even separate it from God's love of our own failings. Nothing separates us from the love of God. I'm going to just read this. Don't go there. Just jot it down maybe. But First John chapter 4, verse 9 through 10, it says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. Do you see that God loves you so much that he wants to spend eternity with you? Verse 10 goes on to say, this is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Oh, God's love is amazing. God's love is sacrificial. It's selfless. It's extravagantly beyond our wildest imagination or even our expectation. His love, it was revealed and demonstrated on the old rugged cross. There was a sinless son hanging and dying on that for a sinful humanity that doesn't deserve it. But God did it anyway because he loves you and he loves me. That's God. That's just like his love. That's just who he is. And have you ever asked yourself, how does God love me this way? Why does God love me this way? Man, that's just a big question. But I feel one day I felt like I discovered this. So my first son, Joel, there was, came the appointment to see the ultrasound and to see in the womb. And, you know, perhaps maybe moms have a connection with the child before maybe the dads do, you know, maybe because it's in the womb. But I felt when I saw this ultrasound, it was really the first time I felt a connection, really, with Joel. And so he's in there, and it's like he's swimming around doing the doggy paddle. 
you know, going like this, backstroke, cannonballs. And, and then later on that day, I couldn't help but just think throughout the rest of the day, just dreaming and thinking and using imagination what he would look like, what his personality would be, you know, how we would, you know, play together. I never thought about changing the diapers. That came later. But in reality, it came. So I started thinking, wow, I have so much love for him. I'm so proud of him. And I thought, I don't even know why. And it, it just amazed me. I thought, he's not even born yet. He hasn't even done anything for me to love him, not love him. He hasn't done anything for me to be proud of him or not proud of him. So I had to seriously think about this. And I was in also in a time of prayer. And I felt like the Holy Spirit guided me to understand this. So then I started thinking, all right, I love him because he's mine. Nothing else had to be said. I love him because he's mine. That was enough. That made sense. He, it, he, he didn't have to do anything for my love. He didn't have to do anything for me to be proud of him. I love him and I'm proud of him just simply because he's mine. And that's it. And then, wow, right there, God says, now you finally get it. Now you finally see how I love you. Now you finally see, it's not about your obedience or your disobedience. It's not about what you did or didn't do. I love you, Joe, because you're mine. And that's how I love everybody. That's how I love all my children. I love you because you're mine. And that, was, that altered my thoughts and, and his love from that point on. And we can't do anything to gain his love. We can't do anything to lose his love. Is that amazing or what? Does anybody get that like it got me? Oh. God wants someone here to know today that no matter what you're going through or what, you, what you've done, what you, where you've been, what's happened, it hasn't stolen who you are to God. Nothing can take your worth. And, you know, I want to show it to you in this way. Can anybody use an extra $20? Nobody's raising a hand, but inside you're like, oh, yeah. Of course. Everybody can use an extra $20. You want this $20? So do you want it even if I fold it? Yeah, right? What if I fold it a second time? You still want it? Of course you do, right? What if I folded it again? Still want it? If I fold it again? Still want it? Everybody's saying, like, yeah. Some of you are not speaking up on the inside, yeah. So what if I, like, roll it up in a ball and it looks like this? Do you still want it? Okay, what if I, like, really squeeze it and tear it all up and just really, like, destroy it and I go down like this and I step on it and just make it look like a wreck? Do you still want it? You know why you still want this? Because no matter where it's been or what it looks like, it's still $20 and nothing changes that fact. In the same way, no matter where you've been, what's going on, what you've done, it doesn't change your value in the eyes of God. You're still priceless to him. You're still worth his son dying. Isn't that awesome? C.S. Lewis wrote, hardships often prepare ordinary people for extraordinary destiny. I've got to say that again. Sometimes we miss it. Hardships often prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny. Are you ready for something like that? I have one more verse and then we're going to wrap up, but it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. It says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair. And Paul is trying to remind us that although we may think we're on the end of our rope, we're never at the end of our hope. We may not have control of our adversity, but we do have control of our thought 
our perception, our attitude, because through the adversity, we can choose the attitude to be bitter or we can choose the attitude to be better. Which would you rather choose? We should never let the stumble of the, be the end of our journey. The stumble should never be the last chapter of the book. Peter, his failing, it, did not, it was not the last step of his journey. It was not the last chapter of his book. And for you and I today, it does not have to be the last chapter or the last stumble or step in our journey. Let's stand together. Not, not only just stand together, but let's stand strong together. And I, I want to encourage you to just look around for a minute and just realize, you know what? We stand together. And, and together we can stand strong. I, I believe that, that and because sometimes even when I'm up here in, in the singing and everything, like I, I can see in the faces that there are struggles and there is hurt and there is pain. And then perhaps there's people that are around you that they have no idea, but God knows. God knows everything. Because we have the ability to just kind of masquerade. We're good at disguising things. And everyone looks on the outside, but God looks on the inside in the heart because that's where the truth really lies. That's where it's at. The truth really lies. I didn't mean it that way. Truth lies. <laughs> that's where the truth really is. Sorry. And I just for a minute, before you go today, I just really feel very strongly that there's many that need to take care of some business with God. And I want to make it an opportunity and an, an environment that allows you to do that. So for just a minute, can we just close our eyes and just really close our eyes and actually gaze spiritually before the Lord. Because I, I just want to let this business be between you and God. And then if you want to go further than that, that's good. And so perhaps you're here today and your adversity has actually caused you to be disconnected from God. And something that was said today, not just my words, but the touch of the Holy Spirit pointed it out to you and said you're disconnected or you're not as connected as you should be. And something needs to shift and something needs to change. If that's you today, I'd just like to see you raise your hand just acknowledge it before the Lord. Amen. Anyone else? Maybe you're here today and you feel like, wow, my faith really has been faltering. I'm just not as sharp as I used to be. And God pointed that out to me. What is God saying to you today? If that's you today, just lift up your hands. Amen. You know, maybe there's somebody in your life that failed you and failed you bad. The reality of it is that people will fail you, but God will never fail you. So sometimes, church, we need God to provide us glasses to see how he sees it. As if they're, you know, the glasses are on our face. They're corrective lenses for our vision, for our perception. And we just need to see something differently. Maybe today you saw something different than you haven't up until this point. And God's really speaking to you about it. He's not done speaking, but it's just something that started this morning. If that's you, just lift up your hands. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. I'm going to pray for us. The music was our worship. It's our time to be in prayer.
There are those that will be up here to pray with you. I'll pray with you too. But make and take care of business with God. Do not leave, please, I plead you, the way that you came in. He is the burden lifter, the yoke destroyer. He's the one who sustains, the one who strengthens, the one who delivers. Just reconnect to him. Amen. God, right now, we're just before you. And we just want to just make this time to just pause everything so that we can really be in connection with you, in line with you. This is the most important thing for it right now. You know, sir or ma'am, I might have left one thing out very important. You don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Everything has just been put on pause and hold for this very moment for you. If you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or you know you stepped away from him and you need to come back, I encourage you to lift up your hands for a moment. Nobody else is looking around. Nobody knows. Anybody else? Yes. Anybody else? There's a celebration in heaven because you just lifted your hand. Anyone else? Hallelujah. Sir, ma'am, you'll never be the same. Welcome back. Welcome home. Or maybe just welcome for the first time. But please do not leave until someone has an opportunity to help guide in that. God, so right now, there are many needs. There are many situations. There are many adversities. And everyone is has some similarities or some differences of where they are. But you are a God that is able to minister to each and every one of us together and individually. So I pray that there is that wind of your Holy Ghost that comes into this place. God, do your mighty work. We just pray that. Let's just sing together.